Quintere Galeciante has delivered a number of change management programs throughout the public sector and is now Head of Strategy at the Department of International Trade. Listen in to some excellent practical advice for delivering successful change initiatives, including the value of engaging change evangelists. Ginteri shares her thoughts on getting senior leadership teams to engage properly with the change programme. But probably the single most important message she has is that if you want others to change, to always be your authentic self. Welcome to this episode of Implementing Best Practice in Business. We're here to help you and your organisation understand and implement global best practice to help you face the business challenges of today. Join me, Richard Farrow, CEO of APMG International, in talking to leaders and practitioners who have applied these frameworks and practices to boost their productivity. They're here, willing to share their knowledge and experience to help you learn from them so you can do the same to make you more competitive in today's market. My guest today is Ginteri. She has held several project and change management roles in the public sector and has been involved in major transformation initiatives to build internal change management capability. Currently, she is the co-lead of the London chapter of the Change Management Institute and chairs a cross-government change management group both of which allow her to raise wider awareness of the benefits of change management and to help leaders and organisations see how crucial it is to ensure people are on board with any change initiative. She's also interested in agile culture and to see how that can help organisations and in particular how small changes result in huge impact on organisations or on organisational cultures over time. Welcome, Ginteri. Thanks so much for having me, Richard. So, you know, you've held some pretty senior change management roles in the public sector. You know, you've worked for a number of public sector organisations. How easy is it to create the business case for change management and to build that awareness in large organisations? Um, well, not not easy at all is my honest answer, and I'm really sorry if you were, <laughs> and the listeners, of course, were expecting a different answer. I guess that's one of the greatest complexities uh, when working with really large organizations, which public sector organizations tend to be. It's around achieving that consistency of, of anything, um, if you like. So you mentioned a few of the roles that I held over sort of uh, the past few years. Uh, one was working for um, an organization that's 250,000 people strong. The other, a hundred times smaller, but um, operates across 108 countries worldwide. Um, and my task um, at hand was very much to create that change management capability from scratch. Of course, starting with that um, change management awareness and case for change management. And um, I must say that whilst those organizations were <laughs> really different, the challenges that I ran into uh, were um, actually quite similar. And um, I do actually have a few tips that I could share um, if that if you think that would be of interest. I think any tips that you can <laughs> share to help people avoid the same problems and maybe get there faster <laughs> would be brilliant. So please share. Yeah, okay, sure, sure, great. Um, so first of all, if you are there to raise a change management um, awareness, which generally should be the first step in building change management capability, especially if you're operating in low uh, maturity environment, 
then um, you must know that you are now in sales job. So you have got to treat it that way. Uh, so remember to be enthusiastic, um, sort of, um, you know, in your 10th session, just as much as you were in your first one. So remember to keep that level of energy and enthusiasm, because really you only have a couple of minutes to engage your audience and to get them interested um, in change management and the benefits um, it could deliver for them. Um, just like with any sales assignment, know your audience. So um, research them, understand them. Why should they care? Why should they listen to you? What benefits change management will actually bring about for them? And then when you do speak of benefits, I would very much recommend um, kind of um, concentrating on tangible benefits. Because as change practitioners, we're often accused of doing the fluffy stuff, which I disagree with. So as much uh, as you can remove that kind of ambiguity or fluffiness from your pitch, um, you know, do it. So uh, again, if you're able to um, translate your benefits into tangible terms, absolutely do so. And if you're speaking with, with senior colleagues, uh, then try and, and translate those into financial terms, because I, I tend to see that that really, really works with senior colleagues. I think um last um, kind of um, tip that I would provide is that remember to also create an urgency. So why should they care about change management right now? Um, and try and kind of link that to um, organizations um, kind of um, circumstance, specific circumstance. So maybe there is a really large portfolio of change. Uh, maybe, um, you know, people's satisfaction with how change is managed uh, is low. So, you know, build on those um, stats that you have available to you to help urgency for change management um, sort of right now. Um, and um, actually, I just thought of another tip to share, which is that remember to um, use all of the channels that are available to you. Um, some of those channels will not be immediately obvious. So to give you an example, when I was at the Ministry of Defense, uh, we had to raise uh, awareness of change management to our workforce of 250,000. And I was um, part of a team of three. So there is absolutely no chance we could directly engage that many people, even if, you know, we did not sleep and just delivered a presentation after presentation with lots of enthusiasm. So instead, what we decided to do is we decided to build this um, community of practice, like a really engaged community of change agents. And um, we brought them together. We gave them lots of interesting content, you know, to get them really engaged. And then we provided um, them with the sales materials. And um, we built that group from 30 to 500 um, individuals in the matter of six months. And at the end of those six months, we moved from having three voices in the organization to having 503 voices. And not just any voices. These are the voices that already have rapport in their um, immediate environment. So that really, really did work. So a channel that wasn't necessarily immediately available or obvious really work in that particular circumstance. So I would definitely encourage everyone to just consider, you know, what what non-obvious channels are available for to, to spread your message. I mean, that, that that's fascinating. You did actually mention about the senior leadership team. So how easy is it to get the senior leadership team to really buy into a change initiative rather than sort of say, well, we support it because change starts the level below us. We don't have to change. So can you actually get the senior leadership team engaged and are they happy to change alongside the rest of the organization? I guess it's always a mixed bag, right? There are those that are just 
change prone individuals and you know if they'll just happily jump onto any initiative that is promises uh, benefits others need a bit more convincing um so you know the, the the largest middle group and i think that's when it's really important to have your um benefits um like quite tightly defined um and, and aimed at that particular individual individuals group because if you're able to demonstrate how change management will make their life easier they will get on board um whether it's change capability building exercise or a change program they will get on board and, and support um um you and, and your undertaking but then of course there's this last group uh which are people who um tend to uh, not tolerate change as well but i guess in those instances it's all about getting people to understand the case for change and you might actually have to um define the case for change for that particular individual if you really really need them on board so um, so absolutely. I mean, if you've got a really important senior stakeholder who's resisting, but they're crucial to your um, change initiative, don't just leave them to one side and hope they will not, um, you know, cause delays or, or challenges for you in the future. I think you've got to, you've got to deal with it there and then. And the best way to deal with it is to understand the person, to build a personal relationship with them and then understand what drives them. So uh, what benefits do they want to achieve or better, or, or in some instances, why are they fearing this change? What what are they fearing? And then giving them comfort that actually there is nothing to be feared and that the initiative is well thought through. Talking about scared about the change initiative, <laughs> you've recently joined a government department yep. where you are now head of change strategy. Yep. So congratulations on the appointment. Thank you very much. But what will success look like to you, say in 2025? You know, if you roll forward, say, three years, yep. you know, and you know, you're sitting there three years' time, what would you think would be the the difference between the organization then and the organization now? Very good question, and, and I better be careful here and not overpromise just in case my boss is listening. <laughs> I'm sure you've already overpromised, but go ahead. As long as I over-deliver as well, then that should be That's fine. always the case. <laughs> so um, I guess... Uh, well, let me try and paint you a, a picture of 2025. So I would um, expect to see in our department that every change initiative has a team of trained and confident change managers working um, basically uh, on those projects, which is not the case at the moment because we're only just building that change management capabilities. So um, I'd say we're um, in a relatively low maturity environment. And of course, if we do have these um, change managers um, on board every program, we'll see, um, you know, really speedy and smooth adoption of um, every solution we try to implement. And we will be able to achieve a really high, uh, high user um, uh, sort of a satisfaction uh, with how change is being managed. I want to say 100%, but I don't think that is realistic because uh, it doesn't matter how well you plan. Um, there are always things uh, that sort of creep up that uh, are not necessarily your control, COVID being one very recent and very painful example. So I guess for me, that that um, sweet spot is at 75%. And in fact, this is how we manage our performance. Um, um, we we um, ask our uh, workforce every year, how well do they think um, changes managed in the department? And so for me, um, 75% is where I'd like it um, to, to see it um, in 2025. I guess the other way I'd measure success is um, um, sort of by observing a shift in culture as well. 
So in 2025, uh, DIT is definitely a more uh, a department where we experiment more because I think as a result of being subjected to like really good change management, um, you kind of transform as an individual from change fearing to change seeking because you know that every time change initiative comes around, um, you know you will have a really good experience and you'll be put at the center of everything that's happening and you've got that comfort and you actually seek change because uh, you you know you know that your life will be better after that initiative is implemented. So yes, that's my vision for twenty twenty five. Excellent. Um... Going back to you mentioned earlier that you that you were part of a change management team within the Ministry of Defence. Yeah. Were there any special challenges, sort of managing teams comprising civilians and military personnel? Do they have? Do some of them take to change better than others? Is there any? Yeah. You know, without stereotyping people, is there anything that you could um, that you could point to and say one group is easier than another or? Are we all people and we all resist change regardless of where we come from? Uh, no, this is such a good question. And in fact, you know, working um, in that kind of mixed environment is probably one of the most interesting experiences of my career today. Um, and I have huge amount of respect for all of my colleagues, but my military colleagues in particular. Um, and of course, goes without saying, there are significant uh, organizational and cultural differences between military and civilian organization for good reason. But I guess the, the way that I like to explain it is that as civilians, we only have a single kind of expectation placed on us on how we should work, right? Military colleagues do not have that um, same thing. They have actually multiple expectations placed on them. So when they're in the field, they're expected to be, you know, to, to follow the orders rigidly. Then as soon as they're not in the field, they're um, expected to almost like you know, um, switch, um, uh, switch the, switch to a completely different way of working and switch into these like really agile and modern and lean organizations where they experiment a lot and, you know, the structures are flat. But of course, that's not how it works in practice. So I feel like we place lots of expectations on our military colleagues, but we don't necessarily give them, um, the right opportunities to learn how to make that switch quite quickly leaving alone the fact that it is actually really difficult to switch at that pace for anyone, whether it's military or civilian colleague. So whilst, of course, that kind of um, direct order culture does exist in military, um, in order to allow people to kind of experiment more and to remove that in when, when the colleagues are not in the field, so when it is appropriate, the environment agenda is really, really um, high on the department's um, kind of culture evolution um, agenda. And there are already so many um, great leaders that will go above and beyond to empower their teams um, and um, to um, kind of, and they have no problem letting go of that power or perceived power in some instances. And of course, there are those that are, you know, uh, not, not as keen to change and they're more set in their ways. Um, and, and have trouble letting go of that power. Um, although it is in some instances perceived, um, but that doesn't really matter, I guess. Um, so, uh, so my experience, um, of course, I've met such stakeholders, but each time I was able to really quickly bring them around to the, um, kind of empowerment agenda and, and to get them to kind of empower their teams with more by explaining the case for change. And in this instance, the case for new ways of working across the military 
is so that we are able to remain a leading military power in today's fast-changing world. So we want to remain leaders. We've got to develop solutions faster. We've got to experiment more. And I guess you can only do that if you feel empowered, because if you are working in a culture where you fear change, you fear to propose new things because they might fail, then of course you will not um, kind of realize that kind of pace of delivery which is needed. And I guess when I explain that way, uh, uh, you know, you could just see the clocks turning and people connecting the dots and um, it works for me um, every time. And then to kind of answer your other question, which is like, how do you then bring those um, different cultures to work successfully together? I have got to be honest, it can be quite intimidating to walk into that um, into that kind of military civilian environment for the first time because the mood tends to be quite serious. Um, and and I, I was actually kind of feeling maybe my authentic working style won't work there. So I was really tempted to just put my authenticity to one side and say, oh, I just better be just like everyone else and, you know, try try and, and work outside of my comfort um, zone, um, if that makes sense. And so um, I was so fortunate actually to the very last minute to pull myself together and say, no, I'm going to stay true to my authentic working style. I think that did allow me to create really kind of safe and fun environment for those mixed military um, and civilian teams, which of course then resulted in people being able to bring out their experiences, their um, personalities and their ideas, which always results in, in better outcomes. So I guess just a reminder to self and to everyone who's listening, but um, you know, uh, stay true to your authentic working style wherever you go. <laughs> it, it always works, doesn't it? Because you're comfortable with it and you know what it means. Whereas if you try and put on a persona, particularly when you're new to something, yeah. it doesn't very, last very long and you do lose that credibility. But yeah. you said you had, um, you built a community of change agents back in the MOD. I think you said it was over about 500 people. Yeah. Have they remained there? Do they now have a thriving change community that that works together, shares ideas? You know, is is that a part of your legacy when you moved on? Oh, I I I, I surely would like to hope so. Uh, it is you know one of my greatest achievements, I'd say, and 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 um, something I'm incredibly proud of. And um, so I think by the time I was leaving the department. Um, the community was something like 700 people um, and then uh, I obviously am still in touch with some of my colleagues and I think it is now around a, a thousand people um, and it's still kind of um, uh, growing strong, um, sharing, uh, bringing around speakers and um, yes, I think it, it certainly is still um, still out there um, and I think the other reason why that community is so dear to my heart and I guess my, my kind of other um, it, is, is the fact that it inspired the cross-government change management working group, which I founded a couple of years ago and sort of continued to, to, to chair because seeing just how much of an impact um, that the, um, the MOD's community of practice actually made to the organization and how it made it possible for us to, you know, um, end the silo working and to share um, the various outputs and to just work together. It's really kind of um, inspired me to then get something started at that kind of cross-government level because 
um, just, you know, connecting with colleagues, I could see just how much duplication is out there um, and, and how much rework, unnecessary rework we're all doing. Um, so yes, that, that um, defense community of practice is very near and dear to my heart. <laughs> But does it really travel? I mean, is it is it true that you can actually share tools, techniques and approaches between government departments with pretty different um, underlying technologies they may be working for? Yeah, OK, they're all they're yeah. all focused on providing best value to the citizen. Yeah. But there's a lot of difference depending upon what department you're in. So is is it easy to share those lessons across? It's not easy. There should be more standardization, that's for sure. Um, and we don't have an ideal solution to share um, the tools and the documents and um, to collaborate, but we make do the best with what we've got. And I must say that um, COVID actually did result in um, very fast um, kind of uh, change in how we are able to collaborate outside of our immediate department. So that's one of kind of... Um, one of one of the benefits that the situation, you know, very negative situation actually had um, to how we are working. And um, to be absolutely honest, um, the um, I, I use now a lot of the tools that I have borrowed from my colleagues across the um, across the civil service. So I, when I need something new in my work or in my department, um, I don't sit down and create it and I don't commission it. What I do is I first check out what we currently have uh, in other departments. We've got a um, a knowledge hub um, presence where we are sharing um, everything. And then I'll reach out um, to, if I can't find anything, I'll reach out to the network and say, can you help me with this? Uh, you know, have, have you done this before? Um, and with 22 uh, government departments now represented, I tend to find uh, lots and lots of answers, as answers, and people willing to 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 lend me a hand, which is really positive. Um, and I guess um, I, I think also our kind of um, collaboration and rallying behind the need for a more standardized um, change management um, kind of standards across governments, also uh, nudging our uh, colleagues at the center. Um, to also provide us some standards. So there is now um, actually work underway um, to standardize how change management is done across civil service. So I wouldn't attribute it to completely to the group, but I definitely think that um, us coming together has served as a driving force um, to standardize change management across civil service a bit more. So, I mean, that's fascinating. So this collaborative um, approach that you have, you know, yeah. involving colleagues from across different government departments to sort of share things. Yeah. So, you know, if you were asked by a new entrant, a new person just joined government, their yeah. first career, and they said to you, you know, what do you think I should focus on? You know, what do you think I should learn? You know, what are the three things that you would tell them? What are the three, three things that you would have liked to have known when you started your career in change management that you now know? <laughs> sure. Well, of course, first and foremost, just um, drawing on my own experience, I'd recommend that, that they do uh, an APMG change management course. That's for sure. That's how I got started in my, uh, in, 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 w with my career and, you know, coming from project management background. Um, I was, um, you know, I, I had some really interesting experiences of managing projects, but one thing just kept really bothering me, which is that we're treating people as a bit of an afterthought in projects. And I thought, there has to be a better way to do this. And indeed, there was. It was called change management. 
And then I uh, found an APMG um, Change Management Foundation, did the course, and I thought, yes, there is an approach of managing people through projects and change better. And so, yeah, so that definitely worked for me. And, you know, I, I can I can only share what worked for me. But in terms of like tips, three things. Um, so first of all, um, remember that every meaningful conversation, relationship, personal or uh, professional starts with listening. So listen first, understand um, the other person and then speak. When you speak, always approach it from the perspective of how am I adding value to the person, to the other person? I think that sort of mindset you'll find really opens the minds, hearts and doors. At least it worked for me. Um, second tip would be that remember that peer to peer power is a real thing and it is incredibly powerful. So I truly believe that my network can help me achieve anything I want. It's just a matter of explaining to my network or my organization or my colleagues why what I'm doing is important to me, why they're a crucial part um, or a crucial enabler of, of my vision. And also, um, don't forget to, to, to be okay with asking for help. People are, will, you'll find are really inclined to help you. It's just important to not be afraid to ask. Um, and lastly, I already touched on this a little bit, but just remember to be authentic because actually, um, the Google um, study recently found that authentic teams do better um, than those that are not authentic. So by being authentic, you are not just helping yourself and your team, you're helping your organization. And so authenticity is truly a strength. So remember to be authentic yourself and then try and encourage it wherever you go. Jintari, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thank you for sharing your, your words of wisdom, your thoughts, your experiences. It was great talking to you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you so very much for, for having me, Richard. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening. We're always keen to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can find all the information in the show notes below. Please visit apmg-international.com to find out more about our accredited training and the certifications that support them that are related to the topics discussed in this series. I hope you've enjoyed today and I look forward to you joining future episodes while we continue our exploration into best practice and the benefits it brings to global business. Thank you.